there are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are golden retrievers. Which means Tubi is more popular than using meat-flavored toothpaste. More popular than never figuring out what W-A-L-K spells. More popular than kicking your leg when a human rubs your belly just right. Tubi. It's more popular than golden retrievers. See you in there. Hey, this is Dre, and welcome to Bot Save the People. On this episode, it is me, DR, Miles, and Kai talking about the news that you don't know from the past week, the underreported news with regard to race, justice, and equity. And it is Black History Month. Happy Black History Month. We talk about a study that uncovers IRS racist auditing practices. We talk about the mortality rate amongst Black mothers. We talk about a lot of stuff on this conversation this week. And we're happy you're here. And we're excited to finally launch our Blackest Book Club reading list in collaboration with Reconstruction and Campaign Zero just in time for Black History Month. We've explored so many books and authors together on the pod. It's great for us to finally be able to carry our own Pod Save the People book list. Go check out our Blackest Book Club reading list at info.reconstruction.us backslash Blackest Book Club. This week, we highlight the book, The Heart Talk, Poetic Wisdom for a Better Life by Cleo Wade. And my advice for this week is let let good things be good. You don't know how it's going to end. You don't know what the trajectory is. But when you're in a good moment, let the good things be good. I've had to tell myself that recently. Let the good things be good. Family, welcome to another episode of Pod Save the People. I am Diara Ballinger. You can find me on Instagram at Diara Ballinger. I'm Miles E. Johnson. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Feral Rapture. I'm Kaya Henderson on Twitter at Henderson Kaya. This is Dre at DIY on Twitter. Well, the Grammys was last night. I didn't watch it, but people did. I, I didn't watch it. I'm <laughs> in Houston with my best friend. She's got all these kids. So we left the house to go to dinner. So, but I was getting moment by moment updates from various group chats where they sent me things like Black China. I'ma leave that alone. I'ma leave that alone. I'ma leave it alone. I'ma leave it alone. Black China was there. Oh, honey, Google the outfit. You did Miles, the outfit was so you're like, Black China, what was going on? Also the shade in Black China was there. I mean that yes, she was. She was she was she was present. Um and you know, the highlight for me, and for those who know and love me, know I love Love, love me some Robert Glasper. And he won. And that's all I needed. That's all I really Say what? Really like, needed. that wasn't even on the TV show. That must have been in the, well, and it's really you know, wild the, the previous he, awards. Yeah, he he was nominated. <laughs> okay, Dre, okay, Dre just pulled it up on, uh, on the photo. I wanted Miles like to be China. appreciated. She looks like, like a black okay. chicken. It, <laughs> it's, very, it's very, it's very Bob oh. Bill. Not that. even a swan. <laughs> Kaya called her a chicken. Him poultry is <laughs> <laughs> And DR, you bringing up Glassbird not only because he won, but because Chris Brown had a meltdown on on Instagram. Wait, oh, because Robert Glasper won you for R and B, and then Chris Brown, Chris Brown better learn how to play a piano. Chris Brown was like, don't nobody know him? Who? How can somebody win that nobody's ever heard of? It was well, Chris Brown, Ooh. read a book and you will learn about Robert Glasper, okay? Yeah. And I've been to how many con- Robert Glasper concerts? Miles, take it away on Robert Glasper, please. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was, that was really embarrassing on Chris Brown's part because um, 
you know, Chris Brown has been making the he's been running the same song for about a good two decades now, and it's and the like. The consensus is maybe you should know who Robert Glasper was, so your music can have some variation and 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 what is it? How do they say it? Mature. So your music can mature a little bit, you know. Um, yes, mature. Wild. That's my father. You sound like my father. Mature. <laughs> Um, can we talk about can we talk about history being made last night? Like yeah. Harry, and, Harry, about Harry Beyonce? Styles, about Harry Beyonce? Styles making history by winning <laughs> best album. No, not Harry Styles. We're not talking about Harry Styles here. Kai, did you know that? About... Do you remember? Do you know why? Do you remember Beyonce sent Miles flyers? F- flyers, flowers. Um, when he wrote the thing, when he wrote what? the article about the last time she did yes. not get album of the year. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I and, forgot that that was the occasion. Yeah. If I, I want it, I could be, I could do one New York Times piece every Beyonce album because it seems like <laughs> <laughs> the same thing is going to happen every time she releases a body of work. So I'm like, this could just, we could just repackage that one. Okay. So, Miles, why do you think they did not give her album of the year? I don't, I honestly don't know. I feel like, I like, I also think that like awards are political, so yeah, totally. I I think that Harry is obviously extremely popular, obviously really well like um like well connected, and also you know just like I felt the same way with Adele and Beck when I was writing those things. I'm fans of both of those artists. I listened to Harry's um album. I would love for I do not want to slander. Um, the artist's name, the Japanese musician's name from the 70s that he basically based Harry's, um, uh, Harry based his album off of. But Harry's album was a really good pop album that was based on 1970s Japanese pop. And I do think that people, when are voting for those areas, like something that feels, um, you know, artistic. <laughs> like, but and and I think that Beyonce, although she's extremely um, popular, I think she's really had to, and I think it's hard for us to see her as an underdog. I think she's really had to fight to be seen as artistic. I think that she's been seen as popular and a megastar more than she's been seen as the artiste. And um, I like I, the hot hottest take off the press. It just came in my mind. I think that her sister Solange would probably have an easier time getting mm-hmm. album of the year than sh- than Beyonce would because of that that layer of it. And I think that when a white man leads a boy band and does something with Japanese pop and whatever, it's like, oh, look at him just risking it all for his art. And I think Beyonce's had a really hard time um, seducing the the Academy in the same way. Hot take. <laughs> I I thought they were just trying. I thought they were trying to be really. Uh, air quotes equitable and give something to everybody. Adele got a little something. Lizzo got a little something. Harry got a little something. Bonnie Raitt got a little something. That, even she was shocked. Our other year is not a little something. That's a I mean, big something. I think, I think they tried to shocked. spread out. I think they tried to spread out the big somethings. Album of the year, record of the year, song of the year. Like all of the big ones went to, like, there was no sweep. There was no like one album is doing it all. There was a little bit for everybody. Um, Did Beyonce win it? She won some, something. She didn't win best song. She didn't of the year. She didn't win best album of the year. Whatever, whatever, look, whatever she won, she has won more Grammys than anybody in the whole history of the world ever. Period. The <laughs> end. Yeah, How about I just that? feel like you know. Listen, I just and this I've just really been in my Nikki Giovanni lately because. 
I'm just tired, 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 tired of these people. And the fact that Harry, like anytime you say boy band, I'm just like, whether we talking about the temptations, earth, wind and fire, all the way through new edition, they stole that whole construct from us and made so much money off of it. So it's like, even when we talk about like white artistry, I'm like, what are we talking about? And what Mm. is the origin of that? So, and when Harry said, Harry said, people like me don't win. Get, what see, does that even by, mean, Harry? By, I can't, I can't, I can't. I, I, can't, thought such I can't. A, I thought it was such a good illustration of how people see themselves. How like white men, how white men see themselves. Because I'm like, I'm sure he doesn't wake up and say, I'm a white man today or whatever. He probably, he probably sees himself as an underdog. He probably sees himself as a weird kid who loves Japanese pop who made an album. So in his head, he's disenfranchised or um, left of center. But it's like, you know, read the, read the, read the black room. Read the, like, read, read everything that's going on around you. You have to kind of differently contextualize yourself when you're so massively popular. It's like, no, things just, like this happen to you like- all the time. I, I don't get it. But, you know, there's a whole group of people that that do get it and that control the Grammys. So y'all can have it and I will wait to the BET Awards. Thank you very much. Can I tell Everybody. you that the best thing about the Grammys last night was the tribute to hip hop? 50 years oh, of it's gonna be 50 years. hip-hop. It is 50 years. And they had a veritable menagerie of hip-hop artists <laughs> yes, who performed. <laughs> except, okay. except, okay. except, except, okay. except, and I, like, I'm from New York at Born and Bred, but I was surprised at how little West Coast representation they had. They had, look, Ice-T up there singing with his SVU self. <laughs> But not, I mean, Dre got an award, but he didn't perform, not Snoop, not Ice Cube, not like no real West Coast rapper e people. Yeah. Also always wanna like just honor the fact that Dre was um honored and you know, he ruined the career of Michelle. Messy, the, messy, terrible, first, violent. Yeah, ruined all the, the things of Sister D. Barnes. And mm-hmm. it's just wild that yeah. That I, we're I calling him a global icon. They called him a global icon and named the award after him. Yeah. Uh-huh. Now, you know, like the Super Bowl, too. People are not mm. going to be able to accept that award. Like, no woman will ever be able to accept That's the award. True. You know, like, they'll have to change the name of the award. So that'll be That quick. is right. Mm. Also, I will say, I, I loved... There's something really pure about Lizzo that I just enjoy in mm-hmm. her acceptance speech and her shout-out to Beyonce. It's just like, you are... Just happy. You're like happy yeah. to be here. You want to do positive music. It's coming from a good place. You look happy. It feel like, and it's like, I, I really, I just, she just seems so pure. The uh, other- her heart launch of the boyfriend. Sorry. Yeah, no. so she, did, she, did, she did a hard launch of her boyfriend. I was like, I know that's right. I know that's right. That's right. She said, to my man who holds me down. Like, okay. Get it, girl. And Miles Samara Joy. Samara Joy. I love, so I'm a, just like a jazz enthusiast, jazz vocalist enthusiast. I think it's one of those things that we just have to keep going. And it makes me so, I, I don't, I don't know off the top of my head Samara Joy's, Joy's age, 
But I, I do know that I could have probably babysitted her at one point. <laughs> so, like, she, and I'm, and I'm 30, about to be 32 next month. So, I'm like, she's young. So, the fact that she is so young and so interested in jazz, grew up, um, was born and raised in the Bronx, New York, and she got a, uh, um, she's 23. She 23, wow. okay. So she got, so she got a, she, and she got a Grammy. It just made me feel so good. And, you know, I'm, I'm gonna sound a little auntie, old uncle, whatever. What, What's wrong what, with what, that? What, What's wrong with that? Uh, I'm just gonna say, I'm gonna sound a little rickety, <laughs> but it also makes me really excited to see that there is a diverse option for young black women who want to be in music. And I think I love sex positivity. I love body positivity. I love, um, shoot 'em up songs. God knows I do. <laughs> God knows I love a shoot 'em up song, but it also made me feel good to see this like brown skin, young black woman still get her Grammy, still have her moment, and not participate in some in the kind of like limiting mainstream scripts that black people, specifically black women and femmes, are given in order to find success, and that just brought me joy. Mm-hmm. Yes, and she. Let me tell you, the last time I was home in Minneapolis a couple weeks ago. Every auntie and uncle I talked to said, and they messed up her name so many times. Did you see Tamar Joy on uh, <laughs> um, Jennifer Hudson's show? Did you see Tamara? <laughs> da, 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 da. <laughs> and she she basically went viral in my family. And so I watched the video of her on Jennifer Hudson's show, and it is spectacular. She's she has spectacular. an anointing voice. She yes. has an anointing voice. Yes. It's like it's it's like nostalgic. I'm like when she sings, I'm like, do I hear vinyl crackling in your voice? Yes, like yes. what? Mm. Like, I, I hear a speak easy in your baritone, girl. What mm-hmm. is going on? <laughs> so she is very popular. So go on here, go do a show in Minneapolis, so I can take twenty of my family members. <sighs> well, y'all, it is. February, which is the kickoff to Black History Year. Woo-woo! <laughs> I know that's right. And we are happy to announce the launch of the Blackest Book Club reading list, which is brought to you by Reconstruction Campaign Zero and, of course, Pod Save the People. DeRay, Diara, Miles, and I came together to answer a handful of questions that we think are a great way for you to talk with your kids, your families, and your friends about books. So we asked each other, which book do you wish you had read as a child? Which book do you think every Black person should read? What's the book you pick up and read when you need to restore your passion, your strength, or your belief? And which book has most shaped your identity as a Black person? And we had a good time mining our memories and experiences for the books that influenced us. Friends, say more. I think it's so important for uh, black books to be highlighted because it's it, a it just creates a conversation, but then specifically this blackest book list is great because we're such diverse minds. Every single person came with different things that they prioritize, different things that they love, and we all came together and said, like, what is the what's the what's the list? What's the what's what what's the list of literature that could really help shape minds that help shape us? And I just think that if you end up reading every single book on this list. Um, you'll be a better person, <laughs> a more well-rounded person, <laughs> a more interesting person, and a, a person whose mind is more challenged. Um, it's just a, it's, it's a good list, y'all. It, it's also a reminder that we... Um... You know, one of the things I love about the the pod is that I get challenged so much to just think of new ideas. 
And we all arrived here because we were in proximity to so many other ideas before we got here. And these books, I think, are a reflection of all the other, like a, a collection of some of the best ideas that we grappled with or struggled through or touched or experienced that helped us really think through um, like how, how we think about the world today. So excited to, I, my book is the first book this week, but excited for y'all to hear everybody's and see everybody's. I also just think the Black canon of literature yes. is so important for everybody's imagination, creativity. Like there, I feel like Black literature in particular, um, I, I think it can give one, anyone, a real, real intrinsic love of reading and literature and exploration. So... I'm just so excited that we did this and so ready to go to space with all of these books because that's what Black people do, just take you away. I I also love it because, you know, they'll try to have you out here thinking that Black folks don't read. And we read, reading, education is our birthright. Um, during the Reconstruction era, which is 12 years after slavery, we started 5,000 schools and 37 historically Black colleges and universities in 12 years. And they tell us that we don't prioritize education. We, we had literary societies and salons and all kinds of things. And so this, to me, harkens back to our history of being literate and literary people. And we are reclaiming that this kickoff to the Black History Year. So go check out our Blackest Book Club reading list at info.reconstruction.us slash blackest-book-club. Did you hear me? Info.reconstruction.us slash blackest-book-club. At the link, you can download the list and make a purchase in support of the cause. We've also designed a limited edition Blackest Book Club apparel collection featuring a range of designs and colors just for you. Stay tuned this month as we grab a book from the list each week and spend a little bit of time digesting it together. This week, we're exploring the heart talk, Poetic Wisdom for a Better Life with Cleo Wade, which is DeRay's book. DeRay, why'd you pick that? So I love hard talk. Uh, Cleo is is both a friend and just such a great mind around like the world of emotions and self help and thinking. Um, and she has a new book coming out soon. But the the book that came out first was Heart Talk, and I'll read uh, my favorite passage from the book. So the the header is um, not every ground is a battleground. And I remember when I first heard her say that, I was like. That's going. I'm gonna give a talk. That's a sermon. I'm. A, I can like see it. Not every ground is a battleground. And when she writes, "Is wise soldiers, wise soldiers know that not every ground is a battleground. Their scars do not let them forget that they have had to be a fighter. But their scars also do not let them forget that the human body cannot live every day in the trenches. To exist in a state that requires you to constantly be prepared to go to war is exhausting. No human body or soul can sustain that type of energy as a lifestyle. Let yourself relax." The ground is not only the place where we march toward what we must fight for, it is also a place where we are being divinely held up by the earth. And I remember reading that the first time and being like, come on, not every ground is a battleground. But like, it it certainly is a place where you fight, but it's also a place where you are held up and supported and nurtured and nourished. And the book is just all these little gems that, that take moments in life and help reframe them and help 
I give you language and images to move forward. And, and that was one of, that is truly one of my favorites uh, from Hard Talk. Um, I always get super excited because A, like Cleo Wade is like one of our like living writers and living, like living thinkers and feelers, which is um, exciting because, you know, we've dealt with the deaths of like Toni Morrison and, um, and, and, and Bell Hooks um, and, and et cetera. So I always feel like really good to know that that, traditions being carried on and then also I love that one of the things speaking of that Bell Hooks will always say was how she was kind of like heart, she was kind of limited where she couldn't go into talking about feelings she couldn't really write poetry she couldn't do things that weren't in the extremely intellectual academic space and I think that even when um, I need to finish the documentary on Thornell Hurston I was really surprised at how limited the talk around spirituality was and stuff like that and I, lo- and I love that Cleo Wade is, is is in some way the the healer of the of the ways that black women haven't been able to show up in literature because she's is able to talk about spirit is able to talk about feelings and be poetic um in a space that usually you will be devalued if you're too if you're too um flowery unless your last name is angelo or giovanni i love heart talk because it is it's like poetic affirmations right and so one of my favorite i love Dre, the one, not every ground is a battleground because sometimes I, as you know, I'm ready to cuss people out all the time. And so that helps me just to get myself together and be like, you know what? It's not worth all this energy because I'm not going to get the return on this energy. But one of my favorites is know the value of knowing your value, um, which I think is something that I'm always um, holding with me and navigating as, you know, just as a human being in the world, but also as an entrepreneur in the world. So um, thank you for bringing, for bringing this book. Um, and I'm going to actually reread it before um, Cleo's next book comes out. I thank you for bringing it as well. Um, I didn't know about Cleo Wade until I started hanging out with y'all cats. Um, and what a lovely discovery. Like it's so refreshing and positive and, you know, Miles, you're absolutely right. It is full of feelings. And one of my commitments to myself this year is to let myself feel all the feels, right? As Black women, we suppress what we're feeling. And and she is both positive in heart talk, but she also deals with issues like change and anxiety and, you know, real stuff. And um, But her overall perspective is positive and optimistic and hopeful. And so... Um, I bought it because of the Blackest Book Club, and I'm excited to read it over the next month. Don't go anywhere. More Politic the People's coming. There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are in France, which means Tubi is more popular than cigarettes for breakfast. It's more popular than considering iced coffee a total abomination. More popular than loving political revolutions. More popular than mer and mer somehow being different words. Tubi, it's more popular than being French. See you in there. Pod Save the People is brought to you by Factor. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals 
are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from each week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. You can crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Now, let me tell y'all, they sent me the Factor meals, and it is absolutely true. Two minutes, pop it in a microwave, and it literally is restaurant-quality food. So far, my favorites are chicken parmesan. I am a chicken parmesan connoisseur. This stuff is good. It has broccoli and tomatoes, and it is creamy and amazing. Mmm, yum. So easy to throw it in the microwave and have a good meal. I'm saving money. I'm not eating out at restaurants so much. It's healthy. Like, I cannot say more about Factor Meals. So if you want to be down with this, head to factormeals.com slash PSTP50 and use code PSTP50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code PSTP50 at factormeals.com slash PSTP50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Posse of the People is brought to you by BetterHelp. Now, y'all, the beginning of this year has just been a lot going on, like from work and family and friends and just, you know, the weather's been awful in New York City and Baltimore. There are a lot of stressors happening, big and small, and we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com people today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash people. Today's news. Every single time, I always, oh, I want everybody to picture me holding your hand in your mind's eye when I, when I get the big exhale. That's what I'm doing. So this is a this is a tough one for well, it's not tough for me, but this is a complicated one for me. But I couldn't ignore it. It was literally like just every per- group chat, everybody uh, who I knew who listens to the podcast was like asking me like I know you about to talk about this. What about this? What about this? So yes, I'm about to talk about Pierre Moss, the cut article um, by Tahira Hairston. I hope I'm saying pronouncing her name right. I'm bored. Tahira Hairston. Um, Pyramus is a brand that I think it's it's it's, it's really like really interesting, and I think that this this moment I've talked about it plenty of times on the podcast about how I'm really fascinated right now with middle to upper middle class Black people's interactions with product capitalism and the brutality that we face and, uh, and the reaction to it. Cause I think there's something really unique and, and, and interesting happening, even though it's like often scary. I think there's something to be said when somebody sees somebody be 
killed or brutalized and their first inclination is to do something for their brand or to create something to sell. And I think that that is saying something about where the where a lot of black minds are because of where we are in um, where we are in capitalism. And I don't see a whole lot of people doing it because I think the whole lot of people who have the voices are the same people who are suffering from this uh, upper middle classism that I'm that, that I've been trying to name for the last year and um, year um, on this podcast. Anywho, this article in the New York Magazine, The Cut, is really all about Pierre Moss and the downfall of this brand. The um, I didn't know necessarily there was a um, downfall of the brand. You can um, ask anybody. I was like obsessed with the bags last year. I didn't. I didn't really get that there was such an up and down until I read it, and I was like, oh, this makes sense as to the things that are happening on social and the the ups and in the in the quiet times and the loud times and stuff like that. I didn't know what I was seeing was making some erratic business decisions happening, and it manifests on so and on um, manifesting on social. It's the there, there's like a like a few touch points in the article. You have to read it; it's pretty lengthy. There's a few touch points that just like fascinated me that I just wanted to bring up in um for um for discussion. The first one is uh, a kind of like like again, I, I'm really curious about if we're really interacting with when people die. The first thing that people think to do is make something to be sold, be a song, be in a T-shirt, and then the other thing is. The um the week the Weeksville um situation that was named in the article. I've been somebody who has been Weeksville Heritage Center. Um, again, the performativity of everything that's, that 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 um, Pierre Moss has represented. I I like you can't ignore it, and I think that just making it making this article just focused on Kirby and just focused on Pierre Moss would be a mistake. I think this is indicative of a bigger thing that's happening. So the fact that he did a he did a fashion show at Weeksville Heritage. Promised them um, like do, like donation and hoodies and and participation and, and none of that happened. But the performance of it all happened. That is really that's that's a thing. <laughs> that's something that sounds like performativity. And I think that we know it so well when white people do it. And I think that we're afraid to name it when other black people are doing. When other black people are using certain. Um, when other black people are using dark times in order to make in order to make green money, uh, the other thing that I wanted to um, name was something that I've had personal um, interactions with with other past jobs is when paranoid black men end up in control. And one thing that I knew that even when I was when I was really just uh, empathetic to the story because I feel like when you read. Kirby's story, there's obviously mental things going on. There might be other paranoia, other traumas that are happening going on. But I notice so often that when Black men who have not done the work to heal their minds or to kind of really address the paranoia, that it ends up just sinking the ship of, of other businesses. The biggest version of this we saw was Yeezy. I think that we all we all witnessed that with easy, but even with this Paramount situation, I was like, there was times where I was kind of going up and down and politicizing it and intellectualizing it, and then other times where I'm like, I think a therapy session could have done it. I 
think the therapy session could have really saved it. And I don't I like so I don't know if it had to be this this deep and this big. And I hate that it had to come here and 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 somebody was able to write a um able to write a story about this. The last thing I'm gonna say about this article was always trust your first mind because my first mind when I saw this Paris Couture show last year. My first mind was I really felt like, as a, I'm a Black American and sitting from slaves, South Carolina, I really felt like it was a mockery. I really felt like it was somebody who was trying to be subversive, trying to be um, satirical, but using a history that all the history that he was naming didn't even belong to him. This is this is the that diasporic wars at its basis, right? Where I'm like, well, you're a hate, you're a Haitian. We're all black, but you're a Haitian immigrant, and you're using a lot of Black American history to make satirical um, commentary on the ridiculousness of fashion or trying to do do whatever. And it felt insulting in doing was on Madam C.J. Walker's property, and for it to be like that, it felt insulting. Where I'm like, well, why didn't you take all white? garb and there's this beautiful um designer who had um these designers make like red have like red stains on their on their white garments and be so it looked like the person was dripping in like red wine this past year i forgot the designer's name so i'm like if you're really bad why don't you do haitian revolution um couture and show these black um people in all white and beat it in um in red and stuff like that why are you putting people in peanut butter jars and stuff like that and it just felt satirical but it felt like it missed the mark and it felt like it was making a mockery of black american culture to me than it was um than it was really like honoring it and this article kind of soothed that impulse because sometimes you'll outgas like myself and be like no it must be good because how would it get here if it wasn't good? And I looked at it and I was like, no, I was right. It was, it was, it was, it was, it wasn't good. It looked like it didn't, it wasn't thought out. And then I read the article and page three says, yeah, it wasn't that good. And it turns out they ain't think it out. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I knew, and I knew it. Trust, trust my, um, trust my first mind. But yeah, I think that outside of Pure Moss, it's not just about the brand and the designer. I think that we really have to be more relentless and critical about people who are of all races, of all genders, who are using Black political, social political moments in despair in order to platform themselves, in order to gain access. And I think not talking about it critically is ensuring that people end up in spaces or with platforms with, uh, how should I say it, dubious (laughs) intentions. Um, I'm excited to hear all of you all's thoughts. Thank you for taking the ride with me because you're still going to see me with that Pierre Moss bag. You're still going to see me in my sneakers. <laughs> Both ends. So I just had to, you know, sometimes when I'm in a moment like this, taking the ride is just as hard for me because I'm like, damn, both ends, both ends, both ends. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to hear y'all's thoughts on it. I will say... Like I got, there was a lot of conversation happening around this in like mind group chats as well. I think this article though is very New York black fashion centric. And I think if you aren't running in those circles or aren't living in New York City in Bed-Stuy or Harlem, then it's really, it's like, who is this? And why are we talking about this? I will say that in my 12 years in New York, 
And, you know, my background is mostly politics. That's the world I came from. I mean, I'm an entrepreneur now. I do work with a ton of fashion brands and now have fashion friends. The fashion Black folk operate a lot differently than my political Black folk, right? Example, when I was campaigning for Hillary and Simone Sanders was campaigning for Bernie, we still ride or die. You a sister in politics, I'm a sister in politics. Black folks in fashion do not ride that way. There's a lot of, there should only be one Black person in the room. And I'm, as the that Black person, I'm fine with that. There's a lot of, I don't like that person, I don't like that person. I, I, I don't know if that's just like inherent in the culture of fashion, but it is super problematic and also just, I mean, unusual to me, right? And so I think, yes, I think it's important to do all the things you're saying, Miles, but I think it's also super important for us to understand that Black folks across all the industries, you ain't got to like each other, but what is our collective goal? Like, what is our collective goal as a people? And I would think it's to create more opportunity for one another, right? But there's something about fashion that in that competitiveness, for some reason, that is not the case. So I think that's what this article did for me is that it's like even going like even, you know, even some of the names in, in the article. Right. So like even some of the quotes like, you know, it, it's like there are there are people who are who are blessing the blessing the careers of black folks in fashion and those people that you go to to kiss the ring and do all so eat like i just felt a lot of that happening or being a reflection of what's happening in the article um and if if if, if it were different you know even if in, even in the very specific case up here of 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 kirby i think that kirby could have been somebody who was very uplifting and pulled a lot of people up and put a lot of people on in fashion, right? Um, but I also, you know, it's it's but it's also tough running a business. And I think the other thing that black folks love to do is throw, you know, throw grenades at folks who are running a business or are trying to sell their business. It's like the whole point of business, y'all, is to build wealth. Like that's the point of business, to be honest. Like, and while you're doing it, hopefully, you know, you're doing it in a way that you know, is equitable and is actually setting or disrupting the culture of, of, of business and how Black folks have been treating in business. But I'm rambling now. All that to say, I thought this was very interesting. And I think what it brought out for me is not what it, not what this writer necessarily intended. I'll ride that train, Diara. Um, I had three thoughts reading this and, you know, I am not in New York. I'm not in fashion circles. I'm not, you know, this is not my set. Um, but a friend of mine from Memphis sent me the article and was like, girl, you should talk about this on the pod. And, <laughs> and, um, and so I think it might be, I, and she at least is a fashionista. Like she's very attuned to fashion stuff, but she's also just attuned to black folk stuff. And right, right, so I think right. um, 
for me, like my first reaction was, oh, damn, right? Like kind of another one bites the dust. I'm always sad when we, when our failures are made public in this way. And I'm not saying they shouldn't be made public, but white people fail at businesses all the time, blow people's capital, do all of this stuff, and we rarely hear about it. And when it happens to us, it it, like it just the impact is so much more. And so my first re- reaction was sort of sad. Um, my big question was like, what was, and, and you all know this young man, I'll know him or whatever, but just reading the article, my big question was like, what was his intention and what was the industry's response or expectation or what, what the industry wanted him to be something And he might have wanted to be something different. He says, this is art. He didn't say this is fashion. He liked the performative nature of it and the shows and the shock and the, you know, what have you. And he failed to build, like he failed to like create clothes that people could buy. Well, maybe that's not what he set out to do. Um, It seems that this performance artist thing was... His real jam. Um, and, you know, I mean, I teach African American history and culture. We sell some t shirts on the side, but we not a, <laughs> <we're> not a <laughs> we are not an apparel company. Now, maybe he wasn't super clear about that with the people who he was taking money from or the people who were mentoring him, but I do think that there is. There is pressure, right, when you have some success at something and what you intend for yourself and what the world intends for you are sometimes two different things. And so I just had some questions around that. And then my third thought was that, you know, sort of related to my first point, um, when the door closes for Kirby, the door closes for lots of other people behind him, right? And there are lots of fashion up-and-comers, talents who won't get the same chance that he got, and that is wasted capital. And so um, it just, yeah, this made me sad, but um, thanks for bringing it to the pod, Miles. So uh, let me, disclaimer is that Kirby is my friend. Uh, And like, like Kaya definitely knows and um and DR definitely knows both because you have had public service jobs. Living in public is hard. Ooh, say. And uh con- and and like conversations about what you what that life is like in public is hard. So that's like the first thing I'll say. The second is that none of us are above, you know, like part of the deal with living in public is that people talk about what you do above. Like that's just part of what happens and you don't always love it. I certainly don't always love it. And some of it is fair. Some of it is unfair. Some of it is mean. Some of it is true and mean. Some of it is kind and, you know, like you get the whole range. Let me zoom out. And before I talk about Kirby, I'll say that, you know, I'm a little too close to this because this same editor uh, commissioned somebody to write a very critical piece of me to open a Black History Month last year. And I I just want to name that it's not lost on me that this is a Black woman editor at a white paper who the second year in a row has entered, has opened Black History Month with very, very critical pieces about Black people. I think that is worth mentioning and worth noting. And like DR, you said about fashion, I am, I think that this, I've seen this have a chilling effect on the fashion people I know in the sense 
of that editor's proximity to fashion is actually pretty deep. And like, why would you ever say anything or in a room where that person is now? Because you might be the subject of a piece like this. I just want to zoom out and say those two things. Now, with regard to uh, the substance of it, Miles, I think I think there is a fair conversation about. And I, you know, I met, I first knew who Kirby was because he had a, a shirt that had the names of victims of police violence on it. That's how I saw it in the protest. I put it in the newsletter that I ran in Ferguson, and it helped the shirt go viral. So, like, how do the instinct to use your medium and platform? if it's art or business, whatever, to like talk about the social moment, I think is like an interesting side of critique. I will say, you know, if the piece had raised those questions, Miles, I think I would be more interested in it as a piece of criticism. There is a part of the piece that felt mean to me, like me, the intentions did not seem kind or, or like trying to get to a bigger question. And, you know, Kirby is young, as both a person and in a, in a fashion career, you know, you think about the old houses, they have been, you know, they have, if you wrote a story about Gucci in the first, you know, seven years, it would be a horrible tread, you know? And, and I, and I worry about what happens when pieces like this become defining in the first set of somebody's career. Like, I just, I worry about that. And like, you know, we most industries love a comeback story. So this is, you know, Kirby's not out and da da da. But I do worry about um I just worry about what that means because whether you like him or not, King's Theater was a historic moment. You don't have to like him to acknowledge that like he has done things in fashion that created space for people that have like changed. Like, I remember, I remember that fashion week hearing people be like, wow, we got to go to Brooklyn. So, you know, cause it, for those of you that don't know, Kirby did the show in King's theater and it was like a whole thing, but everybody had to come. And like, and I, and I worry that the article did not do justice to the kind and good things that he has done in the space too. And, and like, I don't love that. Like if you're going to, if you're going to write the piece, write the whole thing, right? It's sort of my push. Not just the people who are frustrated or the people that don't like you. And all of us have had people who like, you know, if somebody wrote an article with the people that didn't like us, it would be a very interesting way to experience us in the world. You know what I mean? Um, so that's how I feel about it. I like, I want to believe, and I, and I, and I will say my bias is that as the, as a person who lives in public in some ways, and, uh, you know, I woke up yesterday to, a uh, very critical uh, article of me also in this magazine that was like, and DeRay, um, and DeRay, you know, activists disagree with him because of his support for Hillary. I'm like, well, what was I, was I supposed to support Trump? I say this as somebody who also- Also, y'all can find and- me at Diara Ballinger on Instagram. <laughs> if you got a problem with DeRay supporting Hillary Clinton, all oh y'all God. over there. But I say it because I like- when I read the things that are about me, I'm trying to figure out like, how do I take it and do better? And some of the things that get written actually don't set me up to think about it, how I do, like they, they're, they're not zooming out to big questions. Miles, I think you introduced this conversation with a big question that the article did not. And I want to believe that like the best of our critique, the best of our pushes actually help us do the work better, not just lament the fact that we are not doing it in the way that some people want us to. And I guess the last thing before we um, close out, because I love everybody, I, I love conversations. <laughs> so I feel like everybody has such a good take on it. And I think that, you know, 
this might just be what I get for maybe watching one too many Tyler Perry um, plays, but secrets don't do nothing good. So I feel like the piece was written, right? So if I were commissioned to write that piece or commissioned to talk or whatever about that piece, of course I'm me, so I'm going to do it a certain way. But I always think that when we don't engage with something that has happened, then it, then you do become fashion roadkill. Then you do be, become somebody who can never be survived. But if you actually engage with the piece, talk about what, um, have conversations around it, uh, what can be learned from it, you actually start to, just by proxy, create like a pedagogy for even Kirby himself to engage with, to say, no, I've engaged with his critiques and I've done this, this, and this of what y'all said, and now I'm better, which could actually make it so this article isn't as damning as it would be if it was just left alone. Um, which is how come I never hide from these big bad moments, even though we could all name the reasons why it happens to us and, you know, has to, it takes a fire island for it <laughs> to happen to white people, but it happened. So what are we going to do now that it happened? Hey, you're listening to Pod Save the People. Don't go anywhere, there's more to come. There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are influencers on the internet. Which means Tubi is more popular than sponsored posts for digestive enzymes and high coverage foundation. More popular than soft launching your boyfriend. More popular than making boomers explode with rage when you tell them how much you make on a single post. Tubi, it's more popular than influencers. See you in there. Escape to Ocean City, Maryland and discover a place that just feels lighter, where every day feels like Saturday and french fries are a food group, where flip-flops are always in fashion and seafood is always in season, where the boardwalk is bustling and the beach is right outside your door, where you can rise with the tide and feel like a kid again. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at oceocean.com. Here you are, BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, I mean, just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not. I leave the really upsetting and raging news to DeRay McKesson. But today, my news is just that. And I was, I found this and I was like, am I really going to talk about this? And I was so upset about it. And yeah, like I, I want to because I just, our babies, y'all, our babies, right? So a nine-year-old, and this news is from NPR, and you all have to open the link because you have to see this baby. Bobby Wilson holding her little moth or butterfly collection. She's got a cute little headband on and her glasses. She's like the little black Dora the Explorer. So she was minding her own business in, you know, in her neighborhood. Um, 
she she was collecting spotted lanternfly specimens. Come on, baby Bobby. That's what she was doing. The child had found a special spray on TikTok. She made her own spray. She was going out and spraying the trees <laughs> and getting her little specimens. Okay, it is, when you like just envision her, it is the darling, most darling thing. Until her old scraggly, raggly neighbor across the street, Karen badge number 1065 called the police on this nine-year-old baby saying that whatever she was doing, what the nine-year-old was doing looks suspicious. I don't know what she's out there doing. The police come, approach the child, and she says, am I in trouble? I guess, thankfully, because that's how we have to speak as Black folk. The officer knew right away that it was some foolishness. Um, and told her she wasn't in trouble. So anyway, so this, you know, her her mom and her sister end up speaking out about this. This happened in 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 New Jersey, I believe. Um, and um, it, you know, kind of came up in in local press in New Jersey. And at some point, Yale gets involved and then decides to to, to honor her. Nothing makes you feel better than some. Good old white support after after you've been oppressed. <laughs> Somebody get the art donut. What is Honey, <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay. Thanks, thanks okay. Yale. Thanks. Mm. Thanks. School started by slave people. But anyway, so mm. I just wanted to bring this to the pod because I it just wrecked me. It really, really did. And you think about, I mean, especially Kaya and DeRay, like how our babies are perceived in schools across the country. And it's just like... I was like, why was I left out? I get, I get, I get. Well, they because they was teachers. But <laughs> yeah, no, I, 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 I get where you went. But it's to you, too. It's like for, for young people who are so creative and so, like, just free. And then you have this moment where that is... Where you, where you understand the realities around that. It's devastating. It is just devastating. So, sorry I'm taking us down, but this somebody was, bring this, us back up. I, I'm going to go down first. This was outrageous <laughs> to me. This was outrageous to me because, I mean, this wasn't a, this wasn't a Karen. This, this is a whole grown man. He is a whole grown man. And oh, he... Oh, wait, it was a man, Kaya? I thought yes, it was... Yes, Gordon Losh is his name. Okay. And... <laughs> And Gordon, with his whole grown white man self, Gordon is 71, it looks like. Um, And he calls the police and he says, and I quote, there is a little black woman walking, spraying stuff on the sidewalks and trees on Elizabeth and Florence. I don't know what the hell she's doing. Scares me, though. Gordon, you're 71. She's nine. She's a little black woman. 
this is all a adultification of our young people, right? This is what they do to us. She's a little black woman. No, she's a nine-year-old girl. You are 71 years old. And what she's doing is so threatening to you inside your house where you ought to be minding your own business, where she is out actually saving the environment. Spotted lanternflies are an invasive species. New Jersey has asked the people to go out and take care of them, to save the trees. And this little girl is being a hero. And old raggedy Gordon decides to call the police on on her. And despite the fact that Yale was founded by enslavers, as were lots of our institutions, my hat goes off to them for for recognizing her, rewarding her, seeing her as a scientist. This is a story to me where we started out seeing this little girl, somebody saw this little girl as a criminal and Yale says, no, that is not who she is. She is a budding scientist. She is worthy of recognition. She is a hero. And so for me, that's the upside to this. Um, you know, I always, there's like two sides of me. I always say that like, I'm like half woo-woo spiritualist and like half like cynical intellectual. This story brought out both of it <laughs> in me. The woo-woo spiritualist part of me thinks that like, wow, this is, so, there's actually countless stories of black children, black young people who are engaging their genius, who get, um who get reminded that they're in a raced body, that they're in a, that they're in a, that they're in a raced world. It's almost like that's an initiation process to engaging with your genius is to remember this. And it just, it, it feels again, woo woo. It feels very synchronistic and very like, whoa, interesting. Now the cynical part of me is also thinking about, yes, we already named Yale and the history of Yale, but also the, it, it, it feels extremely PRE. Like the fact that Yale has had the um has got people arrested, gotten people arrested, and had all these other things happen on their campus, it feels like opportunism that this somehow landed in in NPR and somehow became a story. It feels like strategic and gross to me. I, it just doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like coincidental. Um, yeah, those 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 are the, my my two two views of the story. I'd say, um, I, Maz, I love this idea of like the the challenge of engaging in black genius or the the price that people want to make you pay. I also think um, people say um, joy is an act of resistance, and that becomes like a frou frou talking point. And then you're like, no, 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 no! This little girl is literally just trying to do something for her little bugs and just be a little black girl, just. Having her fun, the way she wants to have fun outside, ain't hurt nobody, and he ain't even hurting the bugs. And like that becomes a thing that just needs to be disrupted. Like not even a threat per se, but like that like whiteness just has to disrupt it and control it. That like there's the idea that she could make decisions about how she enjoyed this world was so much that he had to intervene. I mean, if that's not what white supremacy looks like, I don't know what is. So uh, I also shout out to Yale Diara <laughs> uh, for sort of lifting this up. And I do think it was pr and I love it. I actually love the PR of this. I love that Yale is like, let, let us use what we, use our platform in this moment to remind people that kids should explore and kids should wonder and kids should, do, like, I love that. But use your platform to pay the people who got arrested on your campus. <laughs> do it all. Do it all. Yeah, yeah, that do it all. This is not a one and done. This is a both and, not a that either too, or. That too. Oh, that okay. too. Yes, okay. indeed. Okay. Challenge me. 
Yeah, maybe next week I'll think that. I've just, I've had a real pro-Black content weekend. I'm ready to rock this week. Let me give you a little something else to be, to rock out about, (laughs) because there's a new study out of the Stanford Institute for Economic Policy Research uh, that just came out that shows what many of us probably suspected, but now we actually have proof, and that is the IRS disproportionately audits Black taxpayers. Um, Oh, Lord is right. (laughs) In fact, the people analyzed 148 million tax returns, 780,000 audits for tax year 2014, and what they found was that Black taxpayers are three to five times more likely to be audited than non-Black taxpayers. Um, How does this happen? It comes actually from a faulty software algorithm. So all y'all who believe deeply in your algorithms and don't believe that race is baked in or that this is not systemic, I'm challenging you on that. Um, The agency focuses on what they call low dollar, high certainty cases, First of all, shouldn't you be focused on high dollar cases, like people who owe a lot of money, not the people who owe a little bit of money? But um, basically, the algorithm targets Black filers who claim the earned income tax credit. And earned income tax credit is a tax refund for low to moderate wage earners that's supposed to help us. But in fact, it helps the IRS target Black people. In fact, the most damning statistic is that single a single Black man with dependents who claims the earned income tax credits, he is every single Black father you know who supports his kids, right? Um, that person is 20 times as likely to be audited as a non-Black married taxpayer claiming the earned income tax credit. So um, these are longstanding questions that... We only now have data on because on his first day in office, President Biden signed the Racial Justice Executive Order 13985, which requires all federal agencies to assess how their programs impact racial and ethnic equity. Shout out to President Biden is another one of those things that we didn't know that he did. But basically, he's making all federal agencies examine the impacts and effects of their programs on race. And... Before this executive order, you could not get into the IRS's data to be able to look for these things. But because of this executive order, um, now researchers have access to federal information and data that they didn't have before, which now proves longstanding truths is hard out here for Blacks in America. I, I don't know if President Biden needs to hire Harry Styles and Ice Spice to put these things in a song, but this needs to be out there. Because shout out to you. <laughs> this needs to be out there. I need to know about this. That's wild. And it makes so and it makes so so much sense. And as somebody who has just finished both watching The Wolf of Wall Street for the first time in the Madoff documentaries, I now feel like I know everything about money. And it's wild that you would... And I get why, because it's low and it's guaranteed you'll get your money back, whereas other people have to legal. And by the time you're like done with it and they fight the case, maybe it's not, it's, it, it wouldn't be worth it. But yeah, there's actual blue, was it white collar? White collar, white collar, white collar. White collar criminals doing white collar things with green money that we need to be talking about. And you're over here focusing on somebody who might be, who, who may, who, 
you know how I haven't said this in a long time, but you know my ethics around doing bad things. I feel like if you're poor in America and you do a little scammy scam, we need to examine what's happening in America. We need to stop penalizing um, poor people for even trying to get a little bit more. You know, the the fact that this is even a thing is it's just it's just gross. And I'm super happy that there's this initiative to even examine it and talk about it and write about it. Yeah. Put this to a drill beat so we all know about it. Not put it to a drill beat. I do think, you know, I remember when they first, um, I remember when they first did this executive order and I talked to, there was somebody who wrote a book about, I think, oh, I can't remember her name, but there's somebody who wrote a book about the tax code and she was really pumped about the data being public so that, or the data being analyzed so they could finally uh, make these conclusions. So shout out to the data because, you know, here we go. But it's also one of those things where like, again, when, when we say everything comes back to race, people are like, y'all being dramatic. And you're like, no, 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 it really does. It, the the big things, the small things, the things in between, the things you don't even think about. And Kai, to your point, when people are like, you know, I don't do politics and da da this is such a good example of like politics is doing you, you know, like you, you don't get it. And we haven't figured out a way to help you understand its impact on your day-to-day life. But baby, the algorithms and the decisions are screwing you over in ways that are unbelievably unfair. They are not because you made poor choices. Choices were made to set you up. Thanks, Kaya, because now I'm really fired up. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I, taxes were kind of a precarious thing to me until I became a business owner because, you know, I was in public service and, you know, I did like a turbo tax and everything was fine. Now my taxes are so complicated. I run my business in New York City, which is the most expensive place to run a business in America. But that's where I live. And I believe that ethically, like I can't move my business to Florida ill. I don't live there. Um, And so I just feel like it's one of those things that it's just, it's not in the, in the, you know, it's not what we pay a lot of attention to. Um, but it is some, it's, it, it, these, these learnings are happening, right? Particularly around wealth, taxes, all the conversations we've had about redlining and home ownership. It's like, these things are coming up and these things exist. Um, and they exist to ensure that we we're, we're not able to build wealth. We're not able to build collective wealth. So this is shocking, absolutely shocking. Um, but thanks for bringing this to the pod, Kaya. My news, um, is hot off the presses, just got released. So in California, there is a very rich data set of income or household income at the state level. And one of the questions that researchers have been trying to grapple with for a long time was about uh, maternal mortality. So mothers who are women who are giving birth um, and, and the rate with which they die. And the question was about Black women. So we know that Black women are more likely to die during childbirth than other races. So there's been a question about uh, maternal mortality and the relationship between wealth and race. What a new study shows is pretty wild, that the wealthiest Black moms are more likely to die in childbirth than the poorest white moms. And there was this notion that like wealthy Black women would have access to better health care and da-da-da-da-da. And because of their wealth, it would offset the impact that we know about maternal mortality. And then you look at the study and it just, it literally does not. 
Like it just, it doesn't. Wealth does not overcome systemic racism in in practice, like definitely not in the ways that people thought it did and and just not. Uh, the article says, in fact, the effects caused by structural racism are so strong that even the wealthiest Black women and their newborns experience worse outcomes than those from the lowest income white families. In other words, the maternal health gap is a trap of systemic racism with roots so deep that no amount of money can buy a Black woman a path out of it. And the reason why the California data matters is that California regularly trends above the national averages for different maternal health metrics, which makes people believe that they will be more likely to be true or worse in other places. And for context, in 2020, maternal death rates were 62% higher in states where abortion was restricted. Uh, and, And the maternal health rates are just bad in general. But yeah, money doesn't solve it, everybody. So when people think that they can capitalism their way out of systemic racism, here's another study to remind you that is not the case. Dre, this is all, all like something that I knew about um, that many Black women know about. Um, and I think a good example of it is Serena Williams, right? And when Serena, even when Serena Williams says while she's having birth that I'm, I'm not feeling right. And doctors are like, oh, you're fine. No, you're fine. She's like, no, no, no. I know something's wrong. Um, and she literally advocated for herself from her hospital bed, right? And so I think it it is why it is so critical for, I'll say that Black women, we know, are very special. And I think what connects us is that we know, no matter what our economic, no, you know, no matter how Oprah-fied we get, we still are going to suffer from some aspects of the same oppressions. It doesn't matter. We can't transcend our way out of, out of, our, our Blackness. And I think this is a perfect example, right? And I think the example is wild because it's an example about bringing more Black bodies into the world. Um, but I will say, um, just for our audience, if, if you all want to learn more about this, I would highly recommend you to go to Black Mamas Matter Alliance. Donate. Black Mamas Matter. It's it, Centers, Black mamas and birthing people to advocate, drive research, build power and shift culture for Black maternal health rights and justice. You can follow them on Instagram. They're amazing. Um, there's a, a lot of resources there for, for everyone. But I think this is something that needs to be on everybody's, on the top of everybody's advocacy list because it is something that is just so wildly racist. Yeah, that this, I, a lot of times I get like slack from certain people about why like I care so much about culture and storytelling and media and stuff like that. It's because I know that racism at the end of the day is based in stories and it's in white supremacy and domination is based in stories and the stories that we tell and that we engage with. Um, and this to me is one of those things where, yeah, you can't class your way out of this circumstance because there's like a story being told around black women, around pain, around, honesty and, 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 be, and uh, the honesty around how we feel about our bodies that can't be transcended because of money, you know? And this story is proof of that. And, like, to me, the only resolve that, like, immediate resolve of, of this is that you have to, if you have the wealth to be able to be really picky because this is just not you can't do this if you if you if you don't have the wealth to do it but if you have the wealth to really make sure that 
the person who is dealing with you is another black person who sees you as human, that might be worth the extra money because it might be worth your life. You really have to make sure that you are, so whoever's dealing with your body is somebody else who sees you as a human. Sometimes that maybe that can even transcend being the best person who is birth, the best white person who's like birthing babies on your block might not be the person for you. You might be better off with the person who's maybe not as acclaimed, but who's black, who sees you as a person because they might just listen to you better. And that's what, to me, this is telling. Like, the story that we tell ourselves around people of different races is is is, is lethal and it's real and it's, and it's showing up and yeah, and it's not going to be, and it's not going to be transcended with a, with a dollar amount ever. Yeah. And Miles, what you're saying anecdotally is actually a statistic. Like, we know that Black babies die more when they are in the care of white doctors. Like, that is a statistical fact, which is also wild. Yeah, so some, sometimes you can't go by, like, who's the best doctor statistically, because if the white people are part of that statistic, you kind of have to make your own statistics. You got to make your own data. You got to make your own choices that are based off of, um, you know, po- politics and culture. Mm-hmm. And we should, at at some point just put a, a collection of resources together um in this space from from mother's day yeah yes that's what we'll do that's what we'll do well that's it thanks so much for tuning into pod to the people this week tell your friends to check it out make sure to rate it wherever you get your podcast whether it's apple Podcasts or somewhere else and we will see you next week Positive the People is a production of Crooked Media. It's produced by AJ Moultre and mixed by Charlotte Lands. Executive produced by me and special thanks to our weekly contributors, Kai Henderson, D.R. Ballinger, and Miles Johnson. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed in garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers. Escape to Ocean City, Maryland, and discover a place that just feels lighter, where every day feels like Saturday and french fries are a food group, where flip-flops are always in fashion and seafood is always in season, where the boardwalk is bustling and the beach is right outside your door, where you can rise with the tide and feel like a kid again. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com.